You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. So welcome. Uh, for those who don't know who I am, my name is Richard and one of the pastors here. And those for those who do know who I am, you might like, hmm, something different about Richard today. And that's because I'm wearing glasses. So if you know me, you know I wear contact lenses. Uh, but I managed to pick up a little bit of an eye infection. And so my doctor said, nope, no contact lenses for a week. And so like any good preacher, I was like, how can I chain, take this and turn it into a sermon illustration? And so we're about to kick off our summer series. And I thought, well, okay, great. Um, just like glasses, I'm so thankful uh, for glasses and, and technology that allows people like me who don't have great eyesight to be able to see. When I take these glasses off, everything around me is blurry. Everything's out of focus. It's hard to really kind of focus in on one thing. But as soon as I put these glasses on, it provides clarity to my world and focus and where I focus on, I can give attention to. And so what we're going to do for the next few weeks uh, over the summer is we're going to focus and give our attention to one Psalm, Psalm 23. Now, we call this uh, series Restore My Soul, which is literally taken out of Psalm 23. And so what we're going to do by just focusing in on one Psalm, six verses for the next six weeks, is hopefully going to provide the lens and the focus and attention that we want to give ultimately to God, but then also how God is interacting with us in our day-to-day world. And I see, I think you're going to see that beautifully come together in Psalm 23. Uh, as one author said, is we become what we give our attention to, for better or for worse, right? You might have heard that we're in what's called the attention economy, that uh, our attention is a, is a prized commodity um, that digital technology companies are trying to leverage for profit. You know, your phone, the apps on your phone, they're, they're leveraged to keep you engaged, your attention, and then ultimately to make money off that. And so we understand that our attention is important. And so what that, that quote is saying is, is really true. And, and I think biblically there's a principle there. What we give our attention to is going to form us, either for good or for bad. And so I want to put a challenge to you, put a challenge to me for the next six weeks to immerse, put the lenses of Psalm 23 on. That give you a clearer focus of who God is, what kind of God he is to you and I, and then how we're to operate and trust and have confidence and hope in this world because of what we've seen. And so Psalm 23, you know, even in a relatively unchurched, increasingly unchurched age, Psalm 23, I think is still very recognizable. It shows up in movies, it shows up in songs, it shows up in films, it shows up in cultural and artistic contexts. And so join me as we read a classic scripture. And I really hope for many of you have heard this. Maybe you could even recite this. Hopefully by the end of six weeks, you will be able to do that. But my prayer is that we would hear familiar words with real fresh um, revelation. And God would really speak and breathe uh, a restoring word to your and my soul over the next few weeks. So here we go for Psalm 23. I'm reading from the ESV. It says it. Like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It feels like a good time to pause and pray. And so we invite you, Spirit of God, to come and take these words and breathe life into us through them. God, as, as the psalmist cries out, you restore my soul. We want to ask you to restore our souls uh, through this time, through this series, through this psalm. Would we encounter you in fresh ways? Would we uh, put the lenses of Psalm 23 that put in focus your character, God, um, and how you want to shepherd and restore us and lead us in paths that are good and right and straight? And so um, would you come and do what we cannot do? Would you transform us, God, for your glory and our joy? Amen. And so as we read this very quickly, it's two real dominant images that we get of God. And we're going to explore this throughout this series. And we're going to take six weeks, six verses, pretty much one verse per week, and look at what it's, uh, what it's saying and drawing out. But the two images, as I look at the psalm uh, collectively, there's two images of God, uh, metaphors of God. One is a shepherd, as a shepherd tending to his sheep. And then in the last couple of verses, as a host uh, taking care of a guest at a table, at a meal. And so um, in our culture, it's very different to their culture. Their culture was very nomadic. It was agricultural. In fact, the psalmist who's writing this, David, was a shepherd. So this is very familiar territory to him, was surrounded by the outdoors. We live in very different times. A lot, a lot of our uh, surroundings are man-made. We live in a less nomadic culture, very urban. And so sometimes uh, some of these metaphors can kind of get lost on us or we don't get fully the... Um, the, disc, the connection that we need to, uh, an understanding of the psalm. And so part of going through this is uh, I picked up a book um, on this psalm. It's, uh, it's called uh, The Shepherd, Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, a little booklet, tiny little booklet that's it's sold of a tomb. And it's written by a shepherd who also then became a pastor. And in East Africa, he was a shepherd. And so he begins to give a commentary of what it's like as a shepherd to analyze the psalm. And so hopefully his insights are going to come out through this uh, series as well. But this psalm, as much as it's recited a lot of times, it's very a uh, favorite one to recite at funerals. It's not some sentimental kind of platitude, like kind of nice feelings. It really is a wrestling with the goodness of God in the day-to-day struggles of life. And I think that has such relevance today because I know many people, people of faith, that's the crucible of faith for you. That's the crisis of faith for many people is understanding the goodness of God, that God is a good God, the goodness of God in a world that's really hard sometimes, in a world that's really dark sometimes. And so it speaks of green pastures and quiet waters, but it also speaks of shadows and valleys and enemies. And so for many, that is the struggle, how to reconcile those two things. And hopefully as we go through this song, we're going to be able to see how we can like the psalmist, do that. Trust in the goodness of God, even though we sometimes walk through those valleys of the shadow of death. So today, we're going to focus on verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm going to start at the second part of that verse. I shall not want. Now, this is not so much, even though we know understanding wanting and desires, it's not so much about desiring something you and I want as it is about lacking something you and I need. Look at what the uh, other verses, uh, other versions, sorry, of this verse say. I lack nothing. I will not be in need. I have all that I need. And so this is a statement. This is a declaration, but it's also a decision. Now, in a word, I think what he's talking about is contentment. And contentment seems to be increasingly elusive in our day, in our age, particularly for us 
here in the West. You know, you think of things like FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? It, 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 it uh, doesn't produce contentment in us. It produces a discontent. What am I missing out on? What are people doing that I'm not doing? Um, think about uh, just the fine line of having healthy ambition in your schoolwork or your career um, and how that maybe produces dissatisfaction and sometimes discontentment. Maybe you're single and you want to be married. Maybe you're married and your marriage is just not at a place where it's providing a lot of satisfaction. What about wealth or material possessions? What about our culture of consumerism? Sometimes if I just have whatever the blank is, I will be content seems to be a mantra that advertisers and marketing companies spend millions of trying to market us some stuff that is going to make us content only until the later and greater and bigger and better version is available. And then the cycle continues. You can't be content with that phone. You need the latest phone. You can't be content with that uh, technology of TV or whatever it is, car, home, that kind of thing. And so it feels like in our culture, feels like in our world, um, there's a lot there's a lot of discontent that can be brought up uh, in our internal worlds, a lot of dissatisfaction. And discontentment, if it's not taken care of, can often very quickly lead to resentment. Uh, resent God. God, why haven't you blessed me? Why do other people seem to be more blessed than I? Why are other people getting what they want and they don't even love you or serve you? It can lead resentment to other people as well. And so, uh, discontent is not a great place to stay in for a very long time and certainly not the will of God for us. So as we begin to think about what contentment is, let's have a look at what it isn't. And so what it's not, it's not denying hurt. It's not denying disappointment. It's not denying even frustration that you might be experiencing in your life. Now, Psalm 23 is positioned between Psalm 22 and Psalm 24. And if you ever look at Psalm 22, the opening line of Psalm 22 reads this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? The same guy that wrote Psalm 23 wrote that. And so contentment is not a denial of just stuff that happens in our lives and us not liking that or being disappointed or hurt or feeling frustrated. What it's not, this contentment is not accepting everything that's also happening in your life or settling for things in your life that are not what they ought to be. In fact, a good virtue is what we'll call a holy discontent, that we get a dissatisfaction of where we are maybe in our relationship with God. We know things aren't what they ought to be in our spiritual life or in our world. And so what it does is it provoke us to do something about that, to press into God through prayer or to get serious about my walk with God. And so that can be a good redeemed form of discontent. But we're not talking about just accepting and settling for everything, or being passive or apathetic to what's going on in your life. Contentment goes way deeper than just talking about possessions or our position in life. And so I want to draw from a 17th century Puritan um, to talk a little bit about what contentment might look like. So forgive the uh, gender bias language it was written in the 17th century, but it applies to both men and women. It says, my brethren. The reason why you have not got contentment in the things of the world is not because you have not got enough of them. That is not the reason. But the reason is because they are not things proportionable to that immortal soul of yours that is capable of God himself. Many men think that when they are troubled and have not got contentment, it is because they have built but a little in the world. And if they had more, then they would be content. 
That is just as if a man were hungry, and to satisfy his craving stomach, he should gape and hold open his mouth to take in the wind, and then should think that the reason why he is not satisfied is because he has not got enough of the wind. No, the reason is because the thing is not suitable to a craving stomach. We're just built way beyond just possessions con- making us content in our souls. Not to say that they're not important, not to say that level of lifestyle is not important, but I love that line. The reason is because those things are not proportional to the immortal soul that's capable of God himself. And so what he's saying is that there's a, there's a reason of contentment is not going to come through the accumulation of more and more and more. You know, there's a, there's a famous uh, encounter between um, John D. Rockefeller, who was the founder of the Standard Oil Company, who was one of the first billionaires in America and one of the richest men on earth. He was asked by a reporter this, how much money is enough? And he calmly replied, just a little bit more. And so I think sometimes that can be the cycle of deception we can get in. How much is enough? Well, a little bit more than what I have right now. How much is enough? Well, a little bit more than what I have right now. And so that's a recipe for discontent, right? You're never quite content because there's always a little bit more that I feel like I'm missing out on. And so... Jeremiah Burroughs, the Puritan preacher, is telling us, hey, your soul's capacity is for God himself. And you want to fill it with stuff? You think that that's going to be the restoration of your soul? That that's what your soul, your soul is capable of so much more than just stuff. And so let's go after that. Let's go after that which our soul truly longs for and truly will find contentment if it gets enough of what its capacity is capable for. So in order for you and I to be content within our circumstances, we're going to need a contentment that is totally independent of our circumstances, right? And you know those people, sometimes those people, sometimes the Derek and Priscilla's of the world seem to be so content and joyful in the midst of really challenging situations. What's the secret there? It's because they're finding a contentment beyond their circumstance, not dependent upon their circumstances. And so... What David is saying, the psalmist is saying, is I shall not want. But how can he say that? How can he come to a place of contentment? Well, I think the key is, and the secret is, in the first part of the verse. And that reads, the Lord is my shepherd. So let's break this down a little bit. Shepherd. Now, this, again, in their world was a very typical metaphor in the ancient Near East uh, that was used by kings or even gods. And it illustrated their authority and their care of their people. It was a, is a typical metaphor of a leader in the way that they have authority and care of their people. Now, the shepherd sheep relationship is uh, repeatedly used in scriptures. One of the uh, most dominant metaphors of the relationship God desires with his people. Another one would be a parent child kind of relationship. But we see the shepherd sheep metaphor repeatedly used And in that already begins to give us an insight of the kind of relationship that God desires for us. So if the Lord is my shepherd, then you and I should know something of his character and his ability. What does it mean? And so the Lord, what does that mean? It's the word Yahweh in the Hebrew. And this was the personal name that God, that personal name of the God of Israel and appears over hundreds of times in the Old Testament. But in Exodus 34, we get a glimpse at the character of this God. And one part of it says this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger 
and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So now we're getting a glimpse of the kind of shepherd, the kind of God that you and I am being invited to look to as our shepherd. And so obviously, as you continue in the scripture, you'll know that Jesus continues this metaphor of a shepherd. In fact, Jesus famously declares, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Because you can get good shepherds and you can get bad shepherds. You know, the lot in life, if you're a sheep, your lot in life is entirely dependent on the type of shepherd that you have, right? And so you just kind of hope and pray if you're a sheep that you get a good shepherd that's going to lead you to green pastures, going to lead you and look after you and protect you. But sometimes you don't. And, and in the, the book that I'm reading of the shepherd, he, he contrasts that he was next to a farm of another shepherd who didn't really care much for his sheep, never tended the grounds that they were on. They were always looking malnourished, always having flies and insects um, eat at them, always agitated, never fully able to rest. And he contrasts that of just how sometimes, uh, you know, we think the world or this or that is going to lead us into green pastures, but in actual fact, it's set up to agitate us, to create a dissatisfaction or discontent in us. And so we see in Jesus, he continues metaphor and, and um, absolutely declares that he is the good shepherd, so much so that he will give up his life for the sake of his sheep. And so for a good shepherd, there is no greater delight than seeing your flock, your sheep flourish under your care. And so this is another dramatic picture of the way that Christ wants to care and have concern for those that have entrusted their lives to him. You know, this is a beautiful quote from Tyler Staten in his book on prayer. It says, trust is confidence in the character of God. Jesus hasn't revealed a God we can perfectly understand, but he has revealed a God we can perfectly trust. And I think sometimes we um, equate those things. If I don't fully understand everything, then how can I trust? And I don't think that's trust. I think trust comes in the face of not fully understanding things. And if you're going to walk with God, if you're going to have any kind of relationship with God, there are going to be times where you're just not going to understand. Because if you understood everything, you would be God. If you could explain everything, you would be God. You wouldn't need a God in your life. But what we can do and what that quote is focusing on is we can absolutely trust the character of God. Why? Because God has revealed his character consistently throughout Scripture and most um, importantly, through Jesus Christ. If you want to get an understanding of what God is like, look at the life, study the life of Jesus, study the gospel, study scripture, have a look at how he is revealed to us. So the Lord is my shepherd. And probably as we wrap this up, the key word, for me at least, in that verse is the word my. This is the key word. It doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. What does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And this is significant for the nation of Israel. A lot of times they were taught to think of God collectively, our God. But what he's doing is he's taking this and making this personal. The Lord is my shepherd. He shepherds me. He looks after me. I've experienced his hand. And the rest of the few the verses that we're going to explore over the next few weeks are going to kind of illustrate that and expound that in, in ways practically that he's felt the Lord shepherd him. 
And so the question for you and I is, can you say that? Who is your shepherd? Who is my shepherd? You know, in a lot of times in our day and age, the self has been propped up to be this dominating voice in our lives. Don't let anything or anyone tell you what you can or can't do, what's good or right for you. You get to decide that. You get to be the the master of your own fate, the chart of your own life. Now, look, I love a healthy dose of self, self-belief. self Okay, I'm, when, There's not knocking that. But we take it to a way too far extreme where it's everything self-defined. Um, and so uh, John Mark Comer makes a comment on this. He says, self is the new God, the new spiritual authority, the new morality. But this puts a crushing weight on the self and you. One it was never designed to bear, it must discover itself, become itself, stay true to itself, justify itself, make itself happy. And so how is that going for you if that's what you're going down on that path? And I think if we can look objectively at society and say, it's not going so great, right? It's not going so great if we just put self as the new God. It puts that crushing weight that your soul was never meant to bear uh, upon you. And so I'm not my shepherd. That's not the way I'm going to get contentment. That's not the way I'm going to get restoration in my soul. But if I look to the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, then that's a recipe for contentment. And so this is a deeply personal psalm that you and I are invited into experience it through our trust and our confidence and our hope in the good shepherd that's revealed to us primarily through Jesus. And so in the final and uh, look here, um, I picked this up from that book I was reading, A Shepherd, look, shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he talks about how each shepherd has their own distinctive earmark cut into one of the ears of their sheep. It's bearing the shepherd's mark. In this way, even at a distance, it is easy to determine whom the sheep belongs. It involved pain for both the shepherd and the sheep to carve that mark in the ear. But from their mutual suffering, a lifelong mark of ownership and bond was made that could never be taken away. And so the Lord is my shepherd. What's the mark that we bear that says, I am his and he is mine? Well, it's, it's the path of Jesus. As we pick up our cross and follow him, that's the mark that should identify as Christ. I am his and he is mine. And if I am his, he's a good shepherd, that he will lay his life down for me, that he'll lead me, he'll guide, he'll provide, he'll protect, he'll care. And in his own words, in John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so this is the great invitation for you and I. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that today? The Lord is my shepherd. And so I make a declaration and a decision. I shall not want because a good shepherd will not deny me that which I need, that I will not lack that which I need to go through life, to flourish in life even though sometimes that means walking paths that are a bit dangerous, walking paths that are a bit dark, as we're going to discover in the rest of the the shepherd knows how to lead us well, how to guide us well. My sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they're not going to follow. And so my prayer is that you can have a conviction in your heart today to know that he is your shepherd. And if you can't say that with conviction, here's an opportunity for you to say, I'm tired of looking to other things to lead me. Whatever it is, tired for other things to shepherd me, even of looking to myself to shepherd me, that's exhausting. It's crushing. 
That's not restoring my soul. That's not producing contentment in me. That I want to now resign my life to the Good Shepherd, trust His care, put my life into His hands. And if that's you today, I'd love to lead you in a prayer like that. And for many of us, we need to come back to realize that we can drift from the Shepherd. Just because we're His sheep, just because we have made that decision, sometimes we can still drift, still look at other pastures and think they look greener, not fully trust Him. And so we come back again that we don't maybe fully understand all that's going on, but we can trust God fully. And so I would love to lead us in a prayer today. And if there's a way that we can help you to continue in your walk with Jesus, in your walk with God, trusting in his care and provision for you as his shepherd, then reach out to us and we'd gladly help you do that. And so, Father, I thank you that you reveal yourself as not just a shepherd, the shepherd, but the good shepherd, our shepherd, that we can say, God, you're my shepherd. And that, Lord, that you look after your sheep well. And as we will discover in the rest of this psalm, God, how you do that, how you lead, you guide, you protect, you provide for us, God. And so I thank you, Jesus, that you declared you're the good shepherd and you modeled it by laying your life down for us. And so for all who are watching this and hearing this, who might be exhausted, discontent, feeling the crushing weight of looking to other things or maybe looking to themselves to lead and guide and shepherd their lives. But I pray today, that we would come to renew our trust, our confidence, and our hope, and that we would be able to say with conviction, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not lack anything. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.